We're very thankful today to be joined, as we regularly are, by Illinois State Senator Terry Bryant. We catch up with her on the road today. Terry, thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. You know, I'm always on the road. Uh, Today, I'm a little farther north than usual, and I mean not still in Jackson County. Well, (laughs) wherever you may be, I always know that you are pulled over and uh, safely (laughs) conducting the interview, so... Uh, We're thankful that all laws are being respected as a part of the Will Stevens show. But um, I'm sure I'm probably breaking something here. I don't know. But uh, regardless, Uh, Senator Bryant, I wanted to ask you about the press release that came out yesterday, uh, headlined Bryant reacts to federal court holding the Illinois Department of Corrections in contempt. We talked about this on the show yesterday uh, in depth. Give us your reaction. Well, I've been getting calls actually for months, but they seem to have been speeding up uh, or getting larger in volume in the last couple of weeks from nurses who work in the Department of Corrections, mostly more local, Menard, Pinckneyville, Big Muddy, so forth. And and the basic complaint is uh, is similar uh, in one way to what's going on in the hospitals, and that is they just don't have enough help. Now, what happens, you know, within the facilities besides just having difficulty like all uh, medical right now, finding enough doctors and nurses is that um, just, a, you know, a few years back, I'm going to say probably two decades ago, they started the process of uh, privatizing health care in the Department of Corrections. Right now, I believe Wexford is the private company that uh, that has that contract. It's been HPL in the, fa- in the past. And uh, they, so they Part of the issue is that you have a private for-profit company uh, doing the medical care uh, inside Department of Corrections. So that's kind of what brings us a little bit to this point. Ultimately, the governor uh, received a contempt of court again. Uh, This time, I think the first time uh, from the department for the Department of Corrections, and that's because they were ordered to come up with a plan for how they're going to fix their issues. In a nutshell, how they're going to fix their issues uh, in regard to health care in corrections is my understanding from uh, what we've seen from that contempt order that they did not comply. Not only did they not comply in making the changes that are going to be necessary, but they didn't even file uh, the report that was ordered. And so um, I think my, uh, I don't know if I would call it anger, certainly angst in all of this is that the governor continues to be cited over and over and over and again for contempt courts are getting tired of being delayed the legislature certainly uh, is tired of being delayed when it comes to making changes for its safety whether it be at dcfs or at department of corrections or at mental health facilities uh we're under uh, a consent decree over and over and over again because uh, the agencies can't seem to do what they're supposed to do and regardless of whether there is a Wexford involved or whether it's uh, poor management you know, within the facility, the buck stops at the governor's office. And in this case, I believe the, that the real issue comes in the deputy director that has been over corrections and possibly the person that is right under him. And that's Christian Mitchell and Camille Lindsay. So those are the individuals who have to give the marching orders to Department of Corrections. Uh, director Jeffries, I have been supportive of for some time 
Uh, he doesn't do everything right, but I do believe he has his heart in the right place most of the time. Uh, but uh, truly, the buck stops at the governor's office. I was critical of Governor Rauner with a lot of the uh, decisions that he made for Department of Corrections, but it has only gotten worse under Governor Pritzker, and it's got to stop. So uh, consent decrees uh, should be dealt, you know, dealt with appropriately, and uh, certainly uh, we have to watch for the safety of our staff and those who are incarcerated. It's not safe for staff when inmates' medical needs are not cared for because those inmates lash out. And so um, I'm just trying to get somebody's attention on this. Yes, and it would seem that someone has just completely dropped the ball here because, you know, when a court asks you to get a plan together, Terry, you and I have been around long enough that you get the laser printer and the computer out and you fire up Microsoft Word and you, you know, put two staff people on it and you get a plan. Now, whether or not that plan is executed or not, who knows? But, I mean, in this case, it's my understanding that there wasn't even a plan crafted. Yeah, the spokesperson for the governor's office says that there was. The The judge's office says it there wasn't. I mean, department says, yes, we filed it. The court, the, I mean, just in some of the reading I did today, the courts are saying, no, you didn't. Well, you know, you, in this case, the courts are in control of this. So if you have the plan, step up with the plan itself to show it to people. But, you know, I have 20 years plus. I'm retired from the Department of Corrections, and most of your listeners know that. So I have some amount of expertise. Uh, I was the head of dietary, but in that role, I also dealt a lot with diets. And I had to uh, work hand in glove with the healthcare unit. I was on the um, committee for uh, committee for quality improvement. We met once a month. Quite often, you talk about the fact that uh, in, you know, a particular uh, inmate would have a bed sore. What were you going to do about that bed sore? What was being, what plan was being implemented? So within each facility, if you are staffed properly, then those needs are being met, right? Take to see in part of the report that there were individuals who um, had dementia and were sitting in their, you know, in their own excrement. I don't know how long that went on, but how long is okay? I say zero, right? Uh, it's not a, you know, it is a hospital within a prison. Uh, and, and often, you know, people have to remember that it's a prison first and then a hospital. So you have to care for everyone's safety. But at the same time, you also have a responsibility to care for those people's needs. And so if the person, uh, I, I can tell you a true story where um, an, an offender uh, had uh, what the, doc the doctor at the institution kept telling him was an abscessed tooth. They were treating him with antibiotics. This went on for four weeks or so, multiple rounds of antibiotics. When they finally gave him permission to leave the institute, when they took him out, so they don't let him go, but when they finally sent him to the hospital, he had uh, jaw cancer and ultimately died with a very, in, in a very short amount of time. That stuff is real. It really happens. There are some individuals who say they're locked up. We don't care about them. I'm pretty hard-nosed about this stuff, and I do really have a firm and strong opinion about keeping criminals locked up and keeping our streets safe. But I also have the compassion that we should have as human beings in saying no one deserves to not have decent medical care uh, when they're in, the, in our custody. 
They're in the custody of the state. We have a responsibility. And again, the buck stops with Governor Pritzker. I don't want to always be beating up on the governor. He can't know every single thing that's going on. He has people who are under him. But over and over and over again, it seems like the individuals that he has working under him are just not doing their job. And in this case, it is my understanding that that falls on Christian Mitchell. And right under Christian Mitchell is Camille Lindsay. They need to explain why this is not being taken care of. Well, Christian Mitchell is more well-known than any deputy governor ought to be. Well, I mean, you know, when you can, yeah, I'm not, you know what, I I, I almost went, I almost, almost took the bait, Will. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to beat up too much on Christian Mitchell because um, we have a little bit of a history uh, that goes back to that whole Confederate Railroad thing, right? Uh, Right. the, the, The concert. But that being said, When you have a position that is the position that he has, and over and over and over again, I hear things like, we can't fill that warden's position because it's sitting on Christian Mitchell's desk. We're waiting for his signature. Well, for God's sake, get off whatever you're sitting on and do your job. That's what I want to say. And then I just heard recently that Camille Lindsay had been moved over to the governor's office, and she's actually over that um, that uh, division now, or that department, uh, you know, which he, she has become uh, Director Jeffrey's boss. Uh, no, I have no animus towards Camille Lindsay, but if that's your job, then do it. If it's not your job, then call my office and let me know, hey, you called this out wrong, and I'll apologize. But that's the hierarchy that I understand. So, Governor, tell your people to do their job. Illinois. And their job is protecting the people that we are holding in custody. Illinois State Senator Terry Bryant with us today. We're talking about uh, the reaction to this uh, contempt order that a, a federal judge has slapped on the Illinois Department of Corrections for failures to correct the situation, particularly concerning health care in these various correctional facilities throughout the state of Illinois. This goes back all the way to 2010. It's amazing how long this has been? Um... Yeah, I, 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 several decades. And, you know, um, we, in just you're talking about the care of the inmates. We cannot lose sight of the fact that there are nurses who are uh, LPNs, RNs, that are having to work in conditions where they're not safe. When you do not have enough staff in, in a place where you have scalpels, where you have syringes, where you have infectious disease, um, that's a pretty significant uh, danger to those individuals who are, and it's not just the nurses, it's also the officers that have to work in that healthcare unit. It's the doctors that have to be there. Sometimes the doctors will order for a person to be sent out and a warden is afraid to have to justify whatever overtime they had to spend. Um, again, that kind of goes back to the top. Uh, it has to be dealt with. We have to have the staff there. That falls back on Wexford, and it falls back on the governor, and it falls back on the contract. Somebody's got to be monitoring what's going on. Senator Bryant, going to uh, switch gears, you are introducing a bill in the Senate. I believe there's a companion bill in the House uh, to prevent energy rate hikes and potential rolling blackouts. We've been talking about this too far, too fast uh, green energy legislation that was introduced in the state of Illinois and its consequences. Uh, What do you hope? will be the outcome from the presentation of this legislation? Well, one, uh, I hope that we um, will uh, repeal 
uh, closing Prairie State Energy by 2035. Uh, I've talked at a lot of uh, coffee and conversations lately. These energy companies have to make decisions about 10 years in advance. So we still have a little bit of time to fix this before uh, the company that owns Prairie State has to start dialing back. They're not going to put investments in that facility. They're not going to expand the usage. The folks that run the MISO grid, they've got to know what energy they can depend on. And so the first bill uh, in, in essence says don't close uh, Prairie State Energy, don't close the facility in Springfield, and don't close these natural gas plants. Um, the uh, second, the second or third, I'm not sure which order we're talking about them in, but one of them takes $10 million that would be used uh, to invest in clean energy uh, in in the realm of uh, coal and natural gas. So uh, we we're gonna have we have about twenty million dollars, I think, ten to twenty million dollars that's going to be invested uh, in um, wind and solar and advancing uh, those areas of energy. That's good. I don't want to take anything away from that, but we should be able to invest about ten million dollars in uh, clean clean coal or uh, improvements in natural gas. So we have the what used to be called the Clean Coal Institute at SIU. It's now the Advanced uh, Energy Resource Center. Um, so there's uh, great strides being made there. However, they're going to run out of money in about a year. Uh, the money that has funded them all this time came from the energy bill that was about 20 years ago, uh, and that, that money's about to run out. So we do need to uh, take a look at that. And then, of course, a lot of the problems that we have is in red tape. So uh, the third bill uh, would uh, demand that we reduce some of the Environmental Protection Agency, the IEPA, uh, red tape that's involved in expanding or growing uh, energy facilities that do include natural gas plants, uh, uh, peaker plants, and so forth. So those three bills uh, would um, keep Southern Illinois basically from going into bankruptcy. Because right now what's going to happen, you know, you've gotten your bill at home. My bill was more than two times as much as this same time last year of Ameren. Imagine what those small businesses are experiencing right now. Imagine what the factories are experiencing and then take into account what our schools are gonna be experiencing as they begin to open. They did not plan for these increases in energy costs. What happens when all of those expenses go up at a school? They raise property taxes. So I'm not saying that anybody's talking about raising property taxes yet, but at really looking at it, I'm trying to figure out what's going to be a school's uh, options. And most often they turn to raising property taxes to get the revenue they need. So th these, are, uh, these are things that are super important. I was willing to support saving the new plants in, in the ComEd region. Those folks were not willing to keep from destroying us. So while they're holding press conferences all over the state talking about how we need to advance uh, solar and wind, I think it's pretty rich for them to be talking about it when the solar fields go in down here. And at the same time, those solar fields are going in. We're destroying 1,500 acres at a time of green, right? So that green footprint is being taken up by solar panels. So it seems to be counterproductive to me, but, you know, I'm sorry. I went off on a little bit of a tangent there. Well, it's all germane to the conversation, and I think the reality is is that they don't have – 
nearly the blowback because of the fact that they have those nuclear plants in northern Illinois. Now, they're not running around with um, mascots that look like nuclear reactors. You know, they're not a champion of, of that. But if they didn't have it, they'd be in the same boat that we're in here. Yes, totally agree. And they'd be shouting a little bit louder. You know, they were shouting because they knew they could, that their nuke plants couldn't close. We knew that their nuke plants couldn't close. You had to save them. So we, and everybody was willing to do that. But what they did is they threw into the same bill what is basically going to bankrupt Southern Illinois, and that is moving too quickly into solar and wind without any place for we in the South to go. So it is not just the South. There are metropolitan areas uh, much, much farther north, up into the collar counties that that um, are part of that of Prairie State Energy. So it's not just deep Southern Illinois. It's vast swaths of Illinois that are not in the PJM um, uh, grid, but on the MISO grid. PJM grid is really just ComEd. That's the Chicago and surrounding area. The rest of the state is in real trouble for rolling brownouts. And and I, and I and I want to applaud the co-ops and Ameren and MISO for trying to work out some kind of solution so that that doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen. But you know, I I can't govern on only hope. I have to I have to govern for the people who put me in office with a plan. And right now, my plan is those three bills. Illinois State Senator Terry Bryant with us once again. Uh, as we close, I want to make sure to mention that this event's been going on back to the Mike Boss to Dave Luchtefeld era. There's going to be the annual senior uh, fair in Carbondale at the Civic Center on August the 24th from 9 to 11 a.m. Uh, give me an overview of what's going to be happening there. Yeah, so we'll have a lot of vendors there uh, that will um, show us their, their wares uh, on things like assisted living facilities, uh, but also AARP will be there to let folks know about deals that uh, seniors can get. Um, we're hoping to get uh, SIH there to do um, uh, blood tests for blood sugar, um, uh, blood pressure readings. Uh, we uh, tried to get an optometrist to come to our last one. I don't know if we'll be able to get someone there or not. Um, and uh, just a just a nice day for folks to kind of look at what's out there available to seniors. It's free. Uh, just come on in. You can come and go as you please. We'll have some refreshments. We'll have some giveaways uh, while we're there as well. And there will be multiple legislators. So it'll be uh, myself, Senator Fowler, um, Senator Win, uh, Representative Winhorst and Representative Jacobs. And I think probably Dave Severin will stop in. I'm going to try to get uh, David Freeze to come over as well. So the majority of the Southern Illinois legislative delegation. So if, you, uh, if you're not a senior, but you just want to stop in and talk to us about something, we'll all be there. We'll all be available to talk to you. And uh, just another thing that we're trying to make available free uh, for the people of Southern Illinois. Mark it down. That's Wednesday, August the 24th from 9 to 11 a.m. at the Carbondale Civic Center uh, right there in downtown Carbondale. A free senior health and wellness fair. Senator Bryan, anything else you want to mention before we let you go? Uh, no, I, I, you know, I was uh, all week. I've been in Champaign uh, with the Edgar Fellows. Uh, just a very nice program that um, uh, former Governor uh, Edgar uh, makes available to folks through U of I. I'm a graduate uh, of I'm a graduate uh, of that program. 
yeah, it's a, you know, it's a bipartisan uh, attempt. Um, you know, there's some things I liked, some things I didn't like. What I did like uh, was being able to uh, sit and talk to folks who don't believe exactly the way I do and let them hear some of the things that I believe in and why. That's the only way that we can ever get on the same page. One really good presentation, there was a lot of good presentations, but one in particular last night uh, was a historian uh, for the Supreme Court, and he talked about all the great history that we have here in Illinois, and we need to be sharing that with the young people here. You know, there's so much about Illinois that is unique uh, to the country. Uh, much of what went on here in Illinois grew this country in a great way and and even still so today a lot of the conversations that we have here in this state and a lot of the decisions that we um, make here in this state uh, really impact the rest of the country we have uh, interstates and airports and rail and and uh, to transportation through this state like no other in the rest of the world really and so I think uh, instead of talking about all the bad things about Illinois we should all pick out a couple good things about Illinois and be sharing those with our neighbors. That was part of my takeaway from this past week. We appreciate your time as always, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks for having me, Will. Have a great day.